Welcome to Tiger Pops Podcast, a place to dissect, analyze, and swoon over the webtoon Midnight Poppyland. Every week, we'll go through another episode and break down character development, relationship regression, plot, symbolism, body language, and more. And of course, we'll be bringing out those tinfoil hats for some theory time. Every week, we'll be joined by sharp-witted, detail-obsessed, and dare I say, thirsty fans ready to tackle the latest gem. Let the analysis begin. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Tiger Pops, episode 41. And today I am joined by Vita and Peg, also known as Saucy Tuggle. So I'll allow you guys to introduce yourselves. Well, hi, my name is Vita. Uh, My full name is actually Vittoria Boney. You can find me on uh, Facebook or Instagram as Vita Buona, though. It's my pseudo name. I am a fourth-year medical student. And um, yeah, I'm just doing my best trying to respond to COVID. I'm doing some really interesting projects. If you're interested, check me out on Facebook or Instagram. And um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Midnight Popular and just looking to find anyone really to talk to and super happy to have found this community. Thanks. Thanks, Vita. And Peg, let's hear from you. You were on before, but may as well do another introduction. Well, I live in South Dakota. I have, I'm way out in the country. I have three kids and I enjoy reading and also writing. So, and it's, and I just am in love with, uh, Midnight Poppy Land, the whole story, the narrative, um, Lily's gifts as a storyteller. So, so that's why I'm here. Yeah. And you have a great fan, um, fan fiction with Shing Ma and Erdine, which is like the most random <laughs> pairing. Like, <laughs> I mean, Erdine is a pretty central character, but like Shing Ma is like, you know, this guy who appeared like twice, maybe. And I just love it. We're all so obsessed that we create this whole world with like totally your character. <laughs> Thank you. I, I have a huge crush on him, actually. But yeah, <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it. Like strong type. I totally see that. <laughs> I'm wondering if uh, if he'll become more prominent. I don't know. I mean, I know Lily doesn't read fan fiction, but like the way that you portray him in your fan fiction, he sounds like a really intriguing character. I find him intriguing. <laughs> Thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. It's my first fan fiction, and I'm, I'm, I'm digging it, and I'm glad <laughs> you guys are enjoying it too. Yeah, it's one of it's um a lot of the fan fiction I read and I don't remember them, but. There's a couple that I actually actively look for, and yours is one of them. And then Christina's with Quincy is another one that I that I actively remember and look for. Hi, compliment. I'm blushing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I guess before we start, let's talk about a bit about um, how we found Midnight Poppy Land, because I think that's a, it's interesting to see how everyone got into it. Okay, so I never read webtoons before, and I was um browsing facebook and i came across the an ad from webtoons it was the balcony scene where torah says he's never held a woman's hand before and hmm, i was like okay this sounds cool I, I thought it was a little cheesy but you know it was beautiful beautiful art so i clicked on it and i read some episodes and i was hooked ever since that was about a bit over two months ago i think and i've just been obsessed 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 ever since well i um my uh, daughter actually introduced me to uh, Webtoon. She uh, had, she's like, mom, look at this. So uh, I had been into it for a little bit. And then um, I didn't read it on uh, Discover, or which is now Canvas. And I, I, my question is always, how do people find these on, on Discover? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but when I did find it when it came over to originals and I, you know, it, I think it was recommended for me. So I checked it out. And again, I, it was up in the about t- between 10 and 20 episodes when I first read it and it, I was hooked immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, um, I have a feeling the way I got introduced to webtoons was similar to a lot of other people. It was actually because of Laura Olympus. I think it was one of those Facebook ads. Let me tell you, when the Facebook ads work, like they really work. So mm-hmm. I joined webtoons, I think about two years ago now. And I remember getting a notification to read the original Midnight Poppyland on uh, Canvas. And I remember reading the description, this is horrible, um, about a love triangle. And I have like dislike for love triangles. So I subscribed to the series and it kind of put it on my to-do list to read. I never read it. I actually never read the original work because there was always the fact that there was a love triangle and it always kind of put me off. Um, So I kind of put that on the back burner. When I saw that she was... uh, greenlit by webtoons I finally was like okay let me actually give this story a shot and finally I read the first three chapters and then after I finished the first two chapters I was like I need to read more let me (laughs) invest in the fast pass and uh I haven't like I've been reading every fast pass episode since pretty much Um, joined webtoons and it was just completely different from what I thought of originally. And I'm kind of kicking myself now for not reading what she had originally wrote, because uh, it is just such a beautiful story and not at all what I thought or expected it to be. Right. I actually also don't like love triangles as well. So I'm very happy that it doesn't look like there's going to be a love triangle here. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So ready to get into the episode? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so episode 41. So last time we ended off with the tear-inducing letter where Tora says goodbye to Poppy and gives her his ring and bracelet and says who it's from and we're all crying and it's awful and wonderful at the same time. And then Tora um, is sitting at Fred and Fran's sausage place and he sends a picture. Well, we think he sends a picture of the strawberry tie possibly to Tora and, sorry, to Quincy and Gayu. So that's where this episode starts off with Gayu receiving a text and we have confirmation we see that they're in this group chat and this group chat is called <laughs> Quincy's Angels and BB we have BB Tora which you guys know is big brother yeah big yeah, bro, big bro. Mm-hmm. and YM Quincy which is young master and <laughs> the first thing like first of all the fact that they have a group chat is adorable and Quincy's Angel. So you see, like, he named it. And this is actually, I'll credit <clears throat> Julia from Patreon. She wrote about Quincy's Angels that Quincy sees them as angels in this chaotic world that he's in. And he sees their their good side. And I thought that was so sweet. That is sweet. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Either that or he's just into 70s TV, huh? <laughs> and, like, haircuts that flip back. <laughs> Feathered. Angels. What is that about? I was wondering if there's the connection here. Charlie's Angels (laughs) is this iconic TV show about these three young ladies who are just like this kick-ass team of, (laughs) they're not, I mean, they're not, they're like crime fighters, basically. Mm. And they have this, uh, this wonderful like silhouette of them all holding uh, weapons and looking all sexy. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) they all have like foofy feathered hair. I think one of them had short hair actually, but 
Um, yeah, it's it's just it's just fluff, complete yeah. fluff. And I love that icon he picked out for himself. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's the right. This uh, this crown. He's so mm-hmm. over the top, Quincy. Mm-hmm. More significance to like the Quincy's angels. Like if you think about Charlie's angels too, like the women are spies. You know, like they have this whole other life. So maybe like to Quincy at least, Tora and Gayu, uh, I don't know, have like the secret life outside of the mafia, or maybe the mafia is the secret life. But I think that works really poetically just with the situation that they're in. Yeah, especially because I think all three of them don't want to be in that life. And he they all I think they all recognize that about each other. Yeah. That's deep. Hey, as an aside, is it Gayu or Gyu? Because in my head I've always said Gyu. Do we know? I don't, I've never seen any indication from Lily about what it is, so I just pronounce it however I want it, and other people pronounce it how they want it. Well, it's a it's a Japanese term, isn't it? I believe oh. so. Mm-hmm. Somebody mentioned that it meant, meant cow, <laughs> which, is, which is a little unflattering to to Giyu Gayo. But yeah, I guess we theoretically could look it up. I'm not going to do it now, but before next episode, mm-hmm. I'll look it up. all of her names have um, significant uh, meaning. Yeah, I think you're mm-hmm. right. Actually, I think it is Giyu. I, I only know this because there's an amazing Japanese restaurant in um, New York City called Gyukaku. <laughs> At least that's like what we call it. Um, so, yeah, really good pick up on that. I think you're right. I think it's Gyu. I just did look it up and it's in the Japanese words means squeeze or hug. And the, oh. isn't that cute? And the Gerb, Urban Dictionary gives it as something really good or beautiful. Oh, my gosh. That's oh, perfect. That's so much better than cow. And did you see how to pronounce it? And I just closed that tab. (laughs) Oops. Okay. So anyway, so Gyu, like if if it's Gyu, is looking through, um, looking at this picture, and then he's scrolling back, and he sees this message from last Friday, which is actually interesting, right? We're trying to figure out the timeline. So Friday was, you know, it's somewhere close to Friday because presumably they talk more than like once a week or something. And he's talking about Morgan's herbal tea because he's having bowel movement issues. <laughs> and <clears throat> Quincy is melodramatically saying, oh, my God, you, you need to try it out. I promise it'll help with the bowel movement. And he gives like a heart emoji. So cute. And somebody mentioned, um, Rebecca Darby mentioned that Morgan is in Irish folklore. She's the goddess of death and war. So pretty apropos. Do you remember when we did, um, I think it was episode six, and we were talking about the panels at the beginning and how they were in triplets and threes, remember? Mm-hmm. If you look at this, it's in two. So you have a shot of Gyu and then a close-up of Gyu. Then you have a look at the the strawberry hair tie in the chat and then a close-up. Then you have Gyu scrolling, and then you have the tiger um, onigiri, the rice ball, and then you have a close-up of the rice ball. Then back mm-hmm. to Gyu scrolling, and then you have, again the hair tie and then close up of hair tie. And then that leads to his close up of him and then panic reaction. Oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. So the, the um, rhythm kind of shifted to, to, you know, something close up, something close up, something close up. I think it's fun. Yeah. That's awesome. I love how you, you, you know, you're, you're giving the cinematic cinematic approach. It's almost musical how she arranges them. Yeah. Was it you who said that you studied music theory? So you saw that? Uh, my undergrad is in music, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. So um, if we go back to the content of the messages, you'll see that um, Quincy is also offering you 
um, coupons, which is nice of him. It's kind of interesting. Like what, you know, I mean, presumably he had enough money to just pay for all these things, but he is at least cognizant that Gyu does not have a lot of money to spare on expensive tea. I mean, it's still pretty expensive regardless. <laughs> yeah, 40% off will be around 60 cents. A little less it's, than 60 cents, 55 cents maybe per bag. It's cute how Quincy tries to be cognizant of money, but even when he tries, he kind of fails. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, 100% number. In our poorer days, like back in the days when I like, I literally knew every cent in my bank account because like I couldn't spend more than whatever cents. I remember I was like, I would talk to friends and be like, oh, da, 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 and they'd be like, oh, just buy this. It's like $30. So like, I don't spend $30. Like at that point in my mm-hmm. life, I just, every penny was budgeted. And I was like, they were totally not in the same mind frame. Did not get it at all. It's kind of interesting in this chat how um, Torah is not just a man of few words. He's a man of no words. <laughs> <laughs> all he does is send these pictures. <laughs> He was looking at his hair tie like, is this from a toddler? What is happening here? (laughs) I think what's like also really funny is just the flip side. Like when Poppy and Tora are back in her apartment, like having this really cute dinner, Tora is getting these texts from his two friends about Gyu's bowel movements. (laughs) 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 It's had me rolling. That's right. Didn't Lily suggest to go back and read a few of them at thinking both sides? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure, but that was my first thought. Like, <laughs> That is hilarious. I did not think of that. That's perfect. You know, it's interesting, actually. Now we know that that dinner took place on Friday and they haven't had any messages since then except for this. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is being consistent with the timeline because I understand as an author, it's sometimes hard to keep track. So it is possible that, you know, she's making some mistakes. But if we're going with uh, what we see, the dinner was mm-hmm. Friday and then they didn't have any messages since then. And, you know, somebody was mentioning, um, Emily was saying how Quincy doesn't even react to Tora's messages because he's like, oh, whatever, he's so weird. I just don't even, he's not even going to answer even if I ask him. So he just doesn't say anything. But you does ask him, you know, he's like, Tora, I am confused. He's like, Tora, I am confusion. <laughs> and of course, Tora doesn't respond. He's more, he tries, you know, he really tries to form that connection with Torah and to bring out that more human side of him. And I think Quincy is not at that that stage of like emotional support and empathy where he does that. Quincy's a little self-absorbed. Yeah. I actually, the way he acts later, I was pretty surprised. I thought he was much more self-absorbed than, than that. I was impressed with the, the level of giving that he was doing later on in the episode. Anyway, so so as a as a sign of you know Giyu's interest in, in human affairs, he decides that he asks his boss if he can go out for a second, and he calls Quincy. And Quincy is sitting there in his lap of luxury in his stunning bathroom with this gorgeous view of Narin, which is by the way, it's the same exact view that is from Regina's Peak. I'm sure Lily did it just for like ease, but it's, if you notice the view from the window, it's actually the same view that Tora and Poppy see. Aww. <laughs> yeah. So he has this stunning like bathtub. He's a corner jacuzzi with black marble tile and like backlit tile. And um, he he asks you, he's like, "What's up, boo boo?" Boo boo. When I was rereading the series, he actually called uh, Tora boo boo too. I think that's like just one of his terms of endearment. He's adorable. He's so not like his father. It's hilarious. I mean. I wonder if there's some ways he's like his father, um, but many ways he's the opposite of him. 
their mm-hmm. relationship is one of the unanswered questions so far. Yeah. 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 I am totally, totally curious about that because for me, um, the father son relationship is so important. And especially if you recognize that your father is not a good person, but he's still your father and you still love him. I, I think that that lends, there's such potential for richness and conflicting feelings and questions of loyalty and love that I'm dying to see more of that. I think what's for me, at least I actually really, I don't like, I don't know how to put it. I think to a certain extent, Quincy is self-absorbed, but Tor has such a level of trust with Quincy. It kind of makes me question um, what Quincy's relationship actually is with his father. Like if you think through, he doesn't have any taste for violence. The one time that he wanted to get revenge on the publishing forum, like he throws up. We try to figure out like, what does he actually want? I don't think it's money. Like when he gave up the publishing firm, like he wasn't looking for money. He was just looking for respect. I feel like if we look at Quincy's motives, what he really wants to do is just write novels. And I don't know, like, I, I, I think we should give him more benefit of the doubt, to be honest. I think that he is just reaping, obviously, a fantastic living off of his lifestyle as, as the, uh, more so than you or Torah. But at the same time, he is still trapped. And I think that the, one of the bonds that really holds these three characters together is the fact that they're, all three are trapped in a situation that they don't want to be in. Like, granted, the stakes are a little bit different for each. Uh, for you and for Tora, the rules are different. Like, they can't date. They can't leave. Otherwise, they'll be killed. For uh, Quincy, it might be a little bit different. Like, maybe he'll be disowned or something else maybe just as tragic. And he just happens to have a better lifestyle for it as well. But, I mean, I think that he is just as trapped as Tora and you. Right. And somebody mentioned this on Patreon. We'll see a little bit later what he has on his body, which we'll talk about when we get there. But um, Kay on Patreon was mentioning that exactly what you said. And she said, like, his his chains are gold plated, but he has them nonetheless. Mm-hmm. If you look yeah. at the next panel, what I, when it pull, Lily pulls back and shows more of his bathroom, it seems pretty clear to me that he likes his nest well feathered. He's bougie that guy <laughs> but and i was thinking about you know the whole publishing career and best-selling author that actually would give him uh a degree of financial independence that would give him some leverage um and uh, an ability to th- be independent of his dad if it came down to it i think it might be deeper too like if he has these lasting relationships with you and torah it could be that they're also the reason why he decides to stay in. Like if he leaves, life could be 10 times darker for the people that he cares about that don't have the same choices that he has. That's, That's true. Because bodyguard duty is probably one of uh, Torah's easier tasks. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's basically spending time with his friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like Vincent's onto that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Vacation. <laughs> Right. So anyway, you ask some um, Quincy. He's like, I'm a little concerned about Big Bro. What's with the cutesy photos he's been sending? Is this some kind of hint? And he's adorable. And he knows that it's Tora's birthday soon. And we know that Tora's birthday is March 30th from Patreon because Lily mentioned it. And um, Poppy's is March 11th. 
So she she mentioned it in, in relation to a whole like astrological um, sign thing, which um, I didn't really whatever. We, I looked it up and I'm not into that. So I didn't look at it, but we, we do know that. So in case anyone else is interested in that. So he remembers his birthday, which is very sweet of him. Quincy told him about it. And he says he didn't think much about the bento. He just thought he was being his usual weird out self, but a strawberry hair tie sure touched the cake. And then he mentioned something. He says, maybe he hasn't gotten over a strawberry girl. So, and then he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to get into it. He doesn't, doesn't know who that is. And Quincy's like, oh, he'll kill me if I tell anybody. He doesn't want to say anything. So there's a bunch of theories percolating around. What do you guys think? I think Lily likes to muddle the water. <laughs> I'm with you. Because, like, like, there's an argument to be made for, like, multiple things. Um, when I first read it, like, I honestly thought, like, Tori just told Quincy that he spat all over um, uh, Poppy in the grocery store, and it was strawberry juice. And, like, that would have been super embarrassing. Like, I wouldn't want to tell people about that. But, I mean, Quincy would have had a reason to be curious, because earlier that night, that was when he first meets Poppy and Tora, you know, kind of like held her hand kind of out of nowhere. And it would have been um, a little bit jarring maybe for Quincy to see. And to me, it would have been very natural for Quincy to maybe question him later about like, hey, what was that about? And then maybe Tora kind of spills the beans that he spat his strawberry juice all over um, Poppy. But I mean, obviously, there's a lot of theories floating around, too about his connection with strawberries in the past it could be something to do with his childhood too uh which is why i say again lily likes to muddy the waters i was gonna say i'm leaning towards it something uh in the past because Mm -hmm. of the language um he hasn't gotten over her which would imply that he was in love with somebody or had a crush on somebody or was in some way had this emotional connection or hunger to some, but some sort of strawberry girl. And I don't think he would imply that necessarily over Poppy because she's relatively new. So mm-hmm. it could be, but I I'm thinking it's strawberry girl is related to why he's constantly seeking out strawberry juice and eating strawberries and what have you. Interesting. And also the fact that it says it hasn't gotten over, it would imply that they have, they're not together now. Where, you know, for all Quincy knows, he still, he, he either doesn't know anything about Poppy or he's knows that they see her, saw her. I mean, they literally just said goodbye, you know, that night. So he wouldn't have told Quincy yet. Yeah, it could have been a relationship or it could have been unrequited. Either way. Yeah. So the thing is, the thing that troubles me about that is that when we, you know, we're pretty sure that the girl um, in the background of the photo Aristreet King, mm-hmm. um, in the white van. We're pretty sure that's Poppy. You know, that's Tora in the background mm-hmm. comforting Poppy. Now, to me, they look. She looks a pretty young, and we know that there's about either a six to seven um, age gap because she just turned twenty one, and he's either turning twenty six or turning twenty seven. I think. Well, I guess we'll find out in two weeks. He's turning twenty six. I think okay. there was something mentioned. I forget where, but um, someone's like. Oh, you're turning 26 this year. I think it might have been Gayu. Yeah, in the in the locker room when he was saying, "How yeah. old are you?" Playing in the sandbox. So I thought he was 26 already, but okay, yeah, it could be. So yeah, so that's a five year age difference. But she's like, she looks like I don't know, 10, 11, and he's like, you know, so 15, 16. To me, that's too big of an age gap at that age to really be interested romantically in someone else. But another, other people were saying maybe it wasn't even romantic. Maybe it was just 
she was a symbol of what she still is a symbol to him now now of like innocence and purity and uh, a life outside of his violent life. And then here's another interesting thing. So I didn't exactly catch this when I read the episode, but people were noticing that when, um, when they were at Alice's restaurant and Tora bangs his head, she says, Poppy tells him, you know, this is really bad. You may get a concussion, just like you said to yourself. And Mm -hmm. people were saying, maybe Poppy had fallen out of the tree. And that was why Tora was comforting her. And he had at that point told her, oh, you could get a concussion. And Poppy was bringing that up because she recognized him. I don't see that because the way she behaves to him doesn't indicate that she recognizes him as someone from her childhood. But I do kind of wonder about that line. What do you all think? I never noticed that before. And now I want to go back and read it. So I remember not- I do remember noticing it, to be honest. Um, I'm, I don't have a strong opinion either way, to be honest. Um, I think you could take it either way. Because uh, he definitely does have like that shocked expression, like it was familiar to him. Um, and then that was when Poppy was able to get the upper hand and actually take his hat. So I think either like maybe he did mention it when she fell off the tree and Lily just didn't write about it, or maybe it is a reference to the past. And that would support uh, the relationship a little bit more, like that they had this past relationship a little bit more strongly. And maybe subconsciously they recognize each other uh, as two people that knew each other. I guess my impression was when they met in the past, it was for a brief period of time. Because it would be very surprising to me otherwise that they didn't, they don't recognize each other now. Um, so I have a feeling that their interaction with the past was brief. Uh, that's just my impression, at least. Yeah, it seems to me that way as well. Wait a minute. So you said so yourself. That's emphasized in that episode. Yeah. But couldn't it be from the cat in the tree? Yeah, Yeah. but Lily doesn't explicitly write that line from the cat in the tree. Mm. Right. He does does say, oh, that was a pretty bad fall. Go see a doctor, maybe. So it's possible that she just, you know, failed to specifically write concussion and, you know, then references it because, you know, nobody's perfect. And like, this is a lot of detail that she's already putting in. I know sometimes I feel like we we analyze everything because we know that we we go too far. We just just analyze things that aren't even meant to analyze. Poor Lily. But then we miss the things that we weren't supposed to miss, like Poppy's changing subjects. Oh my goodness, hmm. it's hard. Like a, she, Lily keeps us on her toes. We can't be right all the time. <laughs> That's definitely part of the fun about this. It's like a escape room through cartoons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, Giu says, you know, is there some chick he's been talking to recently? And then Quincy's like, some chick, is that even possible? Which, you know, it gives an indication of uh, the extent of his dating life previously. He's either sleeping, working out, or on bodyguard duty with me. Poor guy, what a life. Oh, my God. That's so drab. Anyway. <laughs> and um, and then he says, obviously, I don't keep tabs on anything he does, but you know how he keeps his distance from women. And you says, yeah, I mean, pretty much for the same reasons as me. So, yeah. It sounds like- Sorry, go ahead. I, I got a lot of thoughts on this one. I got a lot of thoughts. Um, so my first line of thinking is that Vincent doesn't want his men to date uh, because he wants their loyalty be, to be only to him. Kind of like going back to the Game of Thrones reference, like the men of the Night's Watch. With But we see that some of his bodyguards are 
like their families are affiliated for multiple generations. So I don't think it's just that Vincent doesn't want them to date, but the women that his guards or that his men date need to also be part of the mafia. Like they need to pledge their allegiance to Vincent as well. So I think that's what traps you uh, and Tora from pursuing personal relationships because they recognize that this is a messed up life and world that they live in and they don't want to bring in someone else uh, as a result. Right. That's my thinking as well. I think it's a choice on their part as well because they're both responsible and caring people, which is so devastatingly sad that they're mm-hmm. able to deny themselves that basic human comfort and need in order to keep other people safe. I mean, it's kind of a um, something that applies in many different situations where you're in danger or under someone else's control is that you cannot mm-hmm. show attachments to anything, including other people, because those attachments can then be used against you. And if it's another mm-hmm. person, uh, they can end up hurt. Yeah. Right. So now Quincy demonstrates what I think to be a level of empathy and caring that they didn't believe him to have. And he says, you know how I feel about that. I wish there were more I could do for both of you. While he's eating his cucumber, by the way. (laughs) His eyes eyes are gorgeous here, I have to say. He looks quite stunning with his beautiful green eyes. (laughs) I love you by the cucumber that he's eating. (laughs) And then Gyu says, bro, you've done enough. Cut it out. Which is, dun-dun, what did he do? (laughs) So curious. And I'm wondering, is this related to what... Torah says, uh, what Giyu says to hit Torah in the locker, oh, you know, you and Quincy saved my life. So maybe not because this is, you know, talking about what you and what um, Quincy did at, rather than what Quincy and Torah did. But mm-hmm. I'm very curious what he's referencing here. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I think it was when uh, Torah was forced to sacrifice something. I think it took a more of an emotional tour in Torah because you see him tearing up. Um, I mean, Quincy's tearing up too. I'm, I'm not sure how serious to take that though. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, like showing the contrast, you know, and he says to himself, which at least he has that level of self-awareness. He's like, I know this is rich coming from me. He was sitting in my jacuzzi <laughs> and with crying these copious tears while he's eating the cucumber. Like at the same time, like how disturbed are you if you're managing to eat at the same time? But here's the thing that's funny. Like, I think this is more just the difference between T- Torah and Gyu. Like, we know Torah's loaded. He asked for a raise, mm-hmm. and Vincent's response was like, oh, he wants to buy a Ferrari. Like, it's totally within Torah's capability to live in the lap of luxury, but he chooses not to. Right. Like, why is he, why is he working so many jobs? Like, obviously, like, I think part of it is just he needs to keep tabs on multiple areas of the city, but I'm wondering why you is struggling for money. Like that's kind of, that's the question that's just kind of going through my mind. Right. So exactly. Torah says, you know, Oh, why are you working so much? And he says, I'm not a high level like you, but then he does say, aren't they paying you enough? And then you says, there's never enough money, basically. Like, you know, I can always earn more. So I'm curious. I'm also curious about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does. I'm trying to figure out, right. How high level he is. Somebody was mentioning that maybe he was also in the shadow division, which would mean that maybe there's an official rule that you can't date. But yeah, I don't doesn't sound like you is high level enough to be there. Yeah, I think that's the most likely explanation. 
it seems yeah. that within the structure, there's generals and each general has their own teams that answer to them. And, um, it, it's implied, I guess, that, uh, Gyu is one of Torah's. So I don't know how widespread his, uh, how many people he has to answer to, or if mm-hmm. it's, he's just under Torah, who is more or less, not quite, I mean, general level. I'm at one point, Shing actually says that they're at the same level. Him and Torah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah. Remember what Shing said. <laughs> yeah. But to that, I think I, I think it's just a testament to the fact that Torah is so different from the others. Like, it's Torah's choice to remain that way. Yep. And I think Shang in that same episode then tells Claude, like, what Torah's position in the mafia actually is. And then Claude has this, like, shocked, oh my God, how is he even still sane type of face? So I feel like it's more like Vincent grooms Torah specifically to be a certain asset. And maybe that's why he's getting paid so much more money than you, at least, because he is playing uh, or fulfilling a different role in the mafia. I think that's accurate. Vincent has made clearly made a huge uh, investment into Torah. Yeah. I hope we're going to get more background. I think that what Ching was telling Claude was actually about his training because he says, you know, how is he still sane? But that's a good point. I never thought of it. That maybe it could be his job, which could also be a very uh, crazy job, sanity, insanity-inducing job. That's an interesting point. I'm a little I'm nervous, but I also want to see more about how Vincent trained Torah because I want to understand how he grew oh, up. I'm going to cry. So I do, but I don't. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so Gyu says the only girl I can think of that he's been talking to recently is, and then <laughs> Quincy's men flops into the water, and then we see that Quincy has a Baltimore tattoo on his mm-hmm. left um, left side of his chest, and he also has a tattoo, um, which doesn't look mm-hmm. like it's a Baltimore tattoo. I'm not sure on his right bicep. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if I'm getting the body parts right. Is that a bicep? That's a bicep. Yeah, okay. you're right. <laughs> so this is very interesting because we always assumed that Quincy was more free um, within the clan because his, mm-hmm. of his kind of son. But now seeing that Baltimore crest tattooed on him also is like a symbol of bondage. And one thing that we noted, Torres is on his collar, sorry, is on his, um, his neck, kind of like a doll collar because that's what he is like. And mm-hmm. his is on over his heart or close to his heart. Which could be that maybe because he's a family member, or did they have a choice about where to put it? Thoughts? I don't, I don't think Tora had a choice, and I don't think the other ones that have it on their neck had a choice. But with mm-hmm. with Quincy, I'm not. I don't think I'm open to the idea that that is not a symbol of bondage so much as uh, branding. Like you know, I own Coke, and I'm gonna wear a yeah. Coke something on my jacket or something. You know what I mean? It's it's that could be or could have been in the past, a symbol of pride. Well, I mean, mm. like, let's think about Vincent. Like, we know that he's so incredibly narcissistic. He wants to build an empire because he seems he wants to be that person that's in control. I think that he sees Quincy as a means to an end, you know? Like, when I'm gone, who is going to make sure that my memory lives on? And that's his heir. Like, I think it's him claiming his legacy, if that makes sense, and trying to ensure that his memory lasts because uh, he's just that narcissistic, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Because he's the heir. Yeah. Yeah, which is why, again, like, Quincy is just as trapped as the other two. I don't think he's going anywhere. Because, like, if he's gone, then everything that Mincet is making now is not going to matter 10, 20 years when he passes away. And that's not something that Vincent is happy with. But interestingly, Quincy has already demonstrated a certain independence from his dad. He's mm-hmm. already throats with a knife. He's already has a whole independent career that's pretty, fl- uh, you know, fluffy and has nothing to do with uh, the Baltimore organization. It's, it's entirely, I think, it, entirely independent of it. So he's already kind of uh, put himself at arm's length in, in some aspects anyways. Do you think that um, Vincent knows that he's the writer? Because he may have taken that pseudonym to hide his identity, not just from the public, but from his father. That's really true. And that's interesting because, um, well, I think it would be hard for the whole organization as um, sophisticated and widespread as it is to for him to not know what his son's mm-hmm. up to, but it's, it's possible. Mm-hmm. And that would be really interesting. Again, that's a huge unanswered question is Quincy's relationship with his dad and all those mm-hmm. aspects of it. I think as we start to see them interacting like together specifically, we'll get a better sense, especially um, I guess just what they mean to each other. Like I, I would be very surprised if Quincy didn't think his father was a psychopath. <laughs> but what's Q up to shouting out her name like that in an alley? He's <laughs> <laughs> not very careful. <laughs> yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah. I'm obviously popular. It's a lower level, huh? <laughs> Lack of discretion. Yeah. So yeah, so his um his shouting her name causes Poppy to sneeze. This <laughs> adorable little cute sneeze. Yeah. Which on her hands. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I love the the transition. One thing I haven't really read cartoons before this, but now I have started reading others on webtoons. And one thing I think is adorable is the transition between realistic drawing and then the cutie drawings. I think it's so cute. Yeah. There's been like a couple times too where like. Lily draws like the hackles rising on Tora. Like he just gets really, fr- like really, I don't know, like angry. And then like they, she draws those squiggly lines. And I just think they're like the most funny thing ever. Because <laughs> you can see people getting under Tora's skin. Okay, so who wants to do the sound effect for this panel? Because we're audio, <laughs> so now we can do the sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of my friend, actually. She has like the softest knees. She's like, <laughs> I see her with like my daughter has a bigger draw in, so (laughs) oh, I like that. (laughs) Now now that we've covered three different audio versions of the (laughs) snakes, this is the level of obsession, by the way. Thank God we have other people who understand us because we might be viewed as slightly, slightly insane. So unfortunately, it splatters all over her beautiful cake, which is a tragedy. It is. And um, Poppy, let's add a little curse here. She's like, okay, which a-hole's gossiping about me now? 
And then she looks for <laughs> tissue, which, you know, is a little out of character from like son of a fudge biscuit to a hole. Okay, fine. <laughs> and um, she abbreviates it. Right. So here's my, my other question, which is, doesn't exactly come up right now, but may as well. Um, the timing of this. So she goes on this date with, she texts Toro at like, I don't know, 10 p.m. or something. And they agree to meet like an hour later. So it's like 11, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then they have this whole long date. So they come back at, at like probably sometime in the early morning. And you see, I think the sun is kind of rising in the panels where she is looking at the ring and the, uh, and the airplane. So to me, I see it as early morning. So I'm surprised a, that her grandma and cousin are calling it like, I don't know, five in the morning. And yeah. working, I can see you working, but why is like Quincy in a bathtub at this early hour? It's like the timing is a little confusing for me. Uh-huh. It's just a long, long night. Oh my gosh. And I can totally tell that I'm old now because I'm like, who wants to go out at 11 at night? I'm like, who wants to take a shower and get your rest and go out at 11? I'm like, I want to be in bed. <laughs> you know? No, I, like it's bad. Like even my, my family and friends, they go to bed, I think like at 11. My bedtime is 9.30, let me tell you. If I'm not in bed by 9.30, I already feel like such a grandma. I just don't function the next day. Yep. So I'm a late I'm a late night person. Like I tend to work better at night because, oh my gosh, because the house is quiet finally, especially now with the pandemic and the kids being home pretty much all day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, that's the only time I can get peace and quiet. But yeah, but I, I'm doing it in my room, in bed, in pajamas, you know? What? <laughs> Anywho, but whatever. Poppy's still 21. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, so she's looking for tissues and she comes across the, um, she sees the secret garden and a bunch of notebooks, which you bet we were all looking to see for if the notebook was there, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. And we actually, we see this notebook with the letter E circled and everyone was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what's that letter E? Lily says on Patreon, she's like, I don't want to send you down the rabbit hole. There is nothing. There's no significance <laughs> on circled letter E. Because she knows we're all crazy. <laughs> so actually, I do have a couple of comments. That first notebook on top with the rainbows, that's her agenda and where she writes her to-do lists. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking at the scene, um, and I, I did a comparison at the end too with uh, when Gil was looking at her desk. We can talk about that when it comes though. Um to me, I saw this scene as her trying to figure out, like, what is she going to do with the secret garden? You know, like, she's taking mm-hmm. notes in the book. She's trying to figure out what does she do next because that's how she processes things. She writes things down and mm-hmm. then she goes from there. So I just see that as her notes um, to navigate this complicated situation that she's now in to try to avoid Torah and respect his privacy as well. That's such a good point. And I totally relate to that because I make to-do lists all the time. Like even if I know it in my head, because I usually, I pretty much remember what I have to do. I love running things down and making to-do lists. So I totally relate to that and have a million notebooks as well. (laughs) Oh, and note too, there's two books that are spiral, which Mm. is important because we see them again. Really? I mean, on her desk at the office? Mm Mm-hmm. The two, like Mm. there's there's the papers on top that we see and then two spiral notebooks. And one of them, I'm pretty sure, is the agenda. You can kind of make out, like, the light blue uh, top of it. I, yeah, I look, I stare too much at this website. This website. <laughs> no, that's why we have you on, because we want people who know all the details. <laughs> so she's looking at it, and then she thinks back to um, when she's looking at the box where she was going to put Torah's ring and bracelet, and 
she's thinking about what is not inside the box. And then she swivels her head, a little sweat mark, and she looks at the Cubinoco's book because she regarded him. So this is where we get that pretty journal. Good, yeah. That journal where she just kind of, you can feel her just sort of freezing as she sees it and remembers and her mood changes. Yeah. That's just so pretty. I just love how that panel was done. Yeah. When her hair is done, when her hair is down. Oh. Mm-hmm. How does she not know she's pretty? <laughs> yeah. I agree. How do any of us not know we're pretty? <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. So we were wondering, we were speculating before about what was inside the box. So I think here we have a pretty good indication given her reaction uh, to what was in the box because she immediately thinks about Cuban Yoko and saying, okay, he doesn't want to get me involved, which, so to me, that just confirms that it was the red beret because she left it at Cuban's house. She took it off when she wanted to get Benjamin's hair out of his face. So she must have left it there. And now she's like, oh, and we were wondering all along, does she remember, does she link um, Cuban Yoko to Quincy? It sounded like she did, but then she also said, oh, I have not any further in solving the case. But now it seems pretty clear that she remembers that Cuban Yoko is, is Quincy. And yeah. then she says, this is leads to like a conflict for her because she knows that he's Tora's friend. And she mm-hmm. says to herself, and this is very, I like how she says this because she's totally not like me. Um, in that, like, if I was interested in the guy, I can't, I couldn't stop myself. Like, there's just no way I don't care about my, my brain would tell me, you know, warning this, warning that I wouldn't care. Like, I mean, I've been married for 10 years, but I, I know myself, like I was, I jumped into things. I jumped into my wedding marriage with my husband and like, that's just how I am. Yeah. I don't, I don't. I wouldn't be able to sit like Poppy and say, well, he's in a dangerous organization. He doesn't want me to get me involved. And I respect that. If I have sense at all, I better respect that. I'd be like, I'm in love, Torah. Let's get married tomorrow. <laughs> but, but anyway, besides so respect, I like appreciate that, that about Poppy, that she's smart enough and wise enough that even at age 21, she's able to say, you know, I should be stepping away. I think part of it too, like she's staying true to her own morals. Uh, when Tor leaves her apartment, like after that dinner scene, like we see that internal conflict that she doesn't want to have. Like she doesn't want to have to choose between doing the right thing and being complicit in something. So I think for her, it's also just self-preservation that she doesn't want to muddy the morals for someone, at least not yet, uh, even though Tor does mean something to her. So she talks about here how, if that's the case, she wants to make sure that they don't run into each other. And then mm-hmm. she's like, okay, it's, but she does want to contact Tuminyoko and she's like, it's going to be a whole new level of awkward for us if we mm-hmm. are in touch through or well, if she's, I'm QB. She's kind of hinged or, or, uh, her, uh, not her whole career, but it's really related to promises she's made at work and promises she's made to Mr. Lamb and mm-hmm. that what her boss assigned her to do. And, um, mm-hmm. she needs to get this investment. Uh, Yoko would help their, um, the whole firm. So she's got a lot at stake in the, in the promises she's made as yeah. far as making that connection to Quincy. And so she can't really back out of it. And it looks like she's not like she's, she makes the decision that she's just going to figure out a way to avoid Tora. Yeah. Like, to meet with Quincy, but not interact with Tora. Yep. Which, of course, we're all like, Mm-mm, not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fine. <laughs> right. Wait, I, I just I just wanted to bring this up, too. I thought it was so cute how Quincy is kind of like the wingman, but he doesn't really, like, realize it. 
Uh, so we see it playing out here. Like the fact that she is going to be contacting him again is going to bring Tora back in her life. But we see this happen earlier too. Like the whole scene when uh, Poppy ends up kissing Tora, like she was reading The Secret Garden and she was thinking about Tora. That's a book that Quincy read. And that, like, because he was in her mind, like, I'm sure that that prompted her to act that boldly and completely yeah. against her character in general. Like, Ooh, Quincy is totally the ultimate wingman in my head. Yeah. And I, I think part of the implication when she's reading the story and, and the descript, the, Lily's quoting the descriptions is that, you know, Quincy's a writer and he's using people around him like every writer does. And so that those descriptions, <laughs> Quincy, Tora is probably the reference for half of Quincy's uh, heroes <laughs> there. <laughs> so of course her mind is going to go to Tora when he, she reads some of the, uh, the secret garden. Mm. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. Lily so that, that the books helped, uh, helped impel Poppy to kiss Tora. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. So now we get to Tora's knees, which is <laughs> far louder <laughs> than sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. Oh, okay, I can't. I don't know. I don't know how to say blurred. <laughs> it's a, such a man's sneeze. I'm wondering if it wouldn't be like a little bit like more like uh like guttural, like like a ah <laughs> That was such a girly sneeze. <laughs> I'll try a man's sneeze. It was good at the beginning, and then it went up. <laughs> Let's see. Um. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That was terrible. Yeah, I think that was the best one. <laughs> there you go. And then you see his like little shoulders getting spiky. Oh, it's so cute. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. It is cute. I think you know, for both of them, sneezes are like a moment of vulnerability for people because they can't control them. So it's nice to see Lily. You know, to see both Poppy and Tora being that little vulnerable. You know, not to control them, control themselves, subject to the forces of nature. Uh-huh. It's this perfect kind of parallel connection, even though they're apart, they're still connected because mm-hmm. they have this kind of symmetrical, symmetrical experiences. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna bring that up too. Like, I think it's um, it's like a common uh, I would I don't want to call it a trope, but it's a common thing that is done, at least that I've read in manga, uh, where when people like talk about each other, the person like behind their back specifically, like they sneeze. And I just thought that was super cute that there's that little parallel, like mm-hmm. um, Quincy and you gossiping about Poppy, which is hysterical. And then Poppy kind of thinking and gossiping. Well, not really gossiping about Tora. Well, yeah, she's just thinking about him and she made him sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> he better buy a bunch of Kleenex, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. You and Quincy are also talking about Tora. And, you know, what's also interesting is that... Um, Somebody, you know, people were saying like, oh, did they, you know, share the same germs when they kissed? And then they both stayed out in the cold all night. <laughs> Maybe they caught a cold. Or this is the cold that, that Tora was referencing to Vincent when he snubbed him out and said, I have a cold to nurse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be COVID. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, that's another thing. Everyone was like, oh, my God, after COVID, all we think about is like, cover your mouth. Put <laughs> out shields. Face right, which is what what um, Freddie says to him. He's like, "Cover your nose, you know, when you sneeze. Nobody taught you any matters." And then Tori responds with the. By the way, he honks his nose, which is adorable. 
you know, not like any quiet thing. It's like mm, some like huge hunk. He says, thousand times Friday, I am not in school anymore, and Alice is not my, which you know, my grandma. And he says, What's that? I can't hear you. Because he's, yeah. you know, getting quite advanced in his years. Yeah, I mean, Fred has dementia. Like, I don't know if Lily purposely wrote this for that to be like to happen, but like he has a lot of uh he meets a lot of the criteria for dementia, which is kind mm. of like sad. But he's an adorable little old man regardless and just he's struggling away. Right. So we noticed um that his apron last time said Frank and Fran instead of Fred and Fran. Now mm-hmm. I'm kinda of curious. I wonder if that was a mistake and then Lily made this whole plot point to like, you know, supplement that or if this was something she put in originally. Because Tora asks him, he's like, Is that a new apron? Did you change anything for Frank? And he's like, What? He's like, Oh, my apron says your apron says Frank. He's like, isn't Frank and Fran the new diner down the road, the one that poached, poached a bunch of customers from you? And then Fred is like, what? He's all shocked. Did that little punk sell us leftover aprons? And Toro's like, what little punk? So we're wondering, right? Okay, well, we'll get to that in a second. But then Fred tells him business has a picking up lady because a bunch of young women start coming around. And who do we see coming in? The two women from like chapter two or three. Yep. And they're like, oh, do you think Tora's going to be here? Because they're obsessed, like every proper yeah. woman would be, of course. And then they start, you know, they're like Instagram. <laughs> they're probably Instagram influencers mm-hmm. or something. They take some selfies and business is picking up, which is kind of mm-hmm. cute. And we wonder if like Tora sends people, you know, their number because that's like a way of helping the people who helped him when he was younger. Yeah, I like that. I hadn't thought of it quite like that, but that's really, I think that's really powerful. And it speaks more to Tora's drive to be a good person. Yeah, someone mentioned that. I don't remember who it wasn't me that came up with that one. And it's possible. Most people, if they get the wrong number, would just get ticked off and hang up. But yeah, these these ladies are very uh, optimistic. (laughs) They're optimistic or just downright thirsty. (laughs) (laughs) You have me when I was a teenager and stalking some people. And you know, like, oh, I'm just taking a walk in the area where I know you'll be. <laughs> I had that same thought as you when I saw that first panel was, is this a, is this a correction or is this something that was planned? And I, I'm kind of leaning towards planned as you mm-hmm. see, as we go through the scene here. Yeah. Right. Because he says this little punk sold us the apron. He said we could put our name on it and he's trying to sell us cooking equipment we don't need. So a sleazy guy. And then Tora asks him right away, contact number. And it's a parallel to how he says it for Vincent, which is interesting. You know, Vincent, he says, tell Vincent, you know, names, just this brief mm-hmm. directive. And it's a contrast because of Vincent, he's doing it because he's forced to, and he's trying to divert attention away from Poppy. But here he's doing it because he wants to help. And he's showing kindness. Just very nice that he's able to use his intimidation and, you know, violence skills for the good to somebody who's trying to get, you know, really to rip these old people off, right? Mm-hmm. He says, that scumbag lying to us just because we can't read very well, which is doubly sad. Not only is he old, but they also are not very educated and can't read very well. That's super sad. Well, it could also be eyesight at their, at their age. I was thinking yeah. yeah. I mean, they do, they run in a restaurant, so they probably have business skills. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. Right. No, I'm saying to me, like business skills, you know, you could also be, you know, someone you can't, you could be someone who can't read very well. Like I have a, family member who owns a business but is dyslexic so he doesn't like apparently doesn't do any reading but he runs the whole business 
So, but yeah, it could also be just be eyesight. It's also possible that Fran could be the brains of the operation. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, and then so Fred is looking at. So anyway, so what, what something that people were curious about? They're like, oh, who is this person that um that is that sold them these these aprons? Oh, God, there were so many theories. So one theory was like jewelry. Um, you know, because everyone wants to see Tora beat up jewelry. That's honestly just like the <laughs> desire. <laughs> um, and then what were the other theories I was seeing? I think I saw okay. one that was um, I call him not Sokka. It's like the one with the mom and the Waffle yeah. House from Shoku Ten. He has like the exact same hairstyle as Sokka does from Avatar. So I literally just refer to him as not Sokka. Hmm. <laughs> right, and that was yeah. I, I did see that theory floating around. Which okay. Um, and then there's also this theory, I saw someone saying that maybe Goliath, I think Christina Egan said this, that maybe um, Goliath is trying to subtly get in touch with Tora without directly getting in touch with him. And he knows that Tora hangs out with Fred and he would come to his defense. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a really mean. roundabout way to get in touch with somebody. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's a little, you know, it's interesting. There's this apparently um, literary theory called preservation of characters, which is applied to like biblical studies where people are trying to you know make the fewest amount of characters possible which to me my first thought was okay it's just another guy like another person but i see we all had this need to try to connect everything and possibly because lily draws attention to it or because this is how stories work but i guess we'll find out well the theme is that the dots are connecting so the yeah. overall yeah so what do you why do you think she emphasized how much food he ate um to me i saw that as a as just a reason that Fred was um, an impetus for Fred to start talking to him and to show him, to show us how he's caring for him mm. that because he mm. then says, Oh, Alice is not feeding you well. And you know, if you need food, anytime you need food, come here, just promise me you'll stop cutting classes. And you know, this gets to like the super sweetest time where you see that he's been caring for him since he was a teenager and mm. that he really is concerned for him. He tells him don't cut class. Mm. And then he says, finish school and get all the education you need. So you can get a good job and take care of your grandma. And then this is so poignant. He says, you're a bright kid. You have a great future ahead of you. Don't give up on yourself. And Toro's looking down with this really somber expression on his face. And he yeah. says, Uncle Freddie believes in you. And she zooms in to his, like, his furrowed eyebrows. Oh, my gosh. Like, melting. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he sees a bright future for himself. I mean, I... With these two panels, I was wondering. I got the impression. I was wondering if she's doing another... Um, misdirection because there, there's two things that could be happening here or both actually mm -hmm. one is that you know fred's words are echoing mr what mr lamb put in place with the tapping on the chest and respect mm -hmm. yourself and that that kind of self-reflection the other thing is he's got that little book in his hand and he's looking at the contact so it could mm -hmm. be he's recognizing who the little punk is because mm -hmm. the next word out of his mouth is i'll get your aprons fixed in mm -hmm. you know He's, he's thinking about um, that person, so or both. Mm -hmm. But I was—that's what, what I was wondering when I looked at that. That's a good point. Does he? Does he have it in his hand? He took the paper in his hand. Came back. No, the little book. And then mm -hmm. the next frame after, he says, "I'll get your aprons fixed." He hands it back. Mm -hmm. Right. So he could have just been holding it closed, and I—I I don't know. It was out of sight. Good but point. It, it's one of those moments because I, when Lily, when she. I don't know. Sometimes her expressions turn out later to be more than what you think they were. Yeah. I think that's 
really good catch, actually. Yeah, I didn't catch that when I first read it. Which would imply Goliath or jewelry. Um, mm-hmm. He knows both of them. Yeah. Although, yeah. I don't know, he doesn't know jewelry's. He either doesn't know jewelry's name or he does because it's one of the things that Q researched. Yeah. It could also just be someone else from the clan world. The clan. Yeah. Yeah. Or like another gang or something. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. something to keep an eye on who, like my in my notes, I literally have who's the punk with like five question marks. I mean, what if what if the little punk was one of Lane's people? Mm. Interesting. Hmm. Who knows? It could be. A, there's so many possibilities. So exciting. So awesome. There, There is actually one other thing I wanted to bring attention to. Just with the fact that Fred is confusing Tora for Joe. I think there's something really poetic about that, too. Like, Wait, like you think he's confusing for Joe? What? Oh, because he's her son. Interesting. I just thought he... I thought he assumed that he was his, um, her grandson. He says that he thinks that he's her, um, you know, go take care of your grandma. Mm-hmm. That's Uh-oh. that's how I read it too. Oh shoot! Oops. Alice is the grandma, and Joe was the father figure to him. Yeah. Then maybe. What were you thinking? I need to rethink it, but it was more just the parallel. Like I think it still holds true, just the parallels between Tor and Joe. Like we know that Joe had a pretty rough upbringing as well. I think Joe was part of the mafia at one point, but then he became a police officer. Uh, I might be remembering that wrong, though. It sounds but, like that. Uh, but um, from very early on, like it was Alice and Joe that planted the seeds of who Tora could be internally. Uh, but then, like we know that, well, we suspect at least that Joe died, and. Taurus sees like what his future is and this kind of goes back to the conversation with Fred like when he's thinking of the future like who are his role models you know like if it was Joe like he prayed by the book he was a police officer he was an upstanding man he held a lot of respect for him but he still end up ended up dying he's also in the mafia and he sees firsthand like what happens to the people in the mafia like they die like either you follow follow the rules and you hope that you live long enough to make a life for yourself or like some semblance of one, even though you give up all control or you try to run away. And when you run away, you get killed because uh, Vincent didn't make any like he made that pretty clear. Uh, if he Tora were to leave, he would kill him. Mm-hmm. So I think. Especially when Fred is saying, like, get an education, you have a bright future. Tora literally does not believe that because he sees from what have happened to the people in his past, what happens to them, whether they're in the mafia or in the police. Like, it's not a good end either way. So for that reason, like, he doesn't really believe that his life is even his own to command. Right. This gets to what I was, um, I asked Patty in last week's recording um, what she feels Tora Poppy's dramatic needs are because I was reading, I read about screenwriting and one of the main things I was reading about character development was that every character has to have, one of the main characters has to have a dramatic need, something that compels them. That is the basis for everything that they do. And that is their like motivation in life. So I said that I felt that Tora's primary motivation and his need was autonomy because he doesn't have any autonomy and he doesn't have control over his life and he needs control over his life. What do y'all think? Completely agree. 
But I think there's, it, that's connected to the sort of other theme that's kind of growing as the MPL goes along, which is his thought, is there another way for me to live, which is completely connected to Poppy. Poppy's mm-hmm. the path to that other way to live. So this don't give up on yourself, I believe in you. I think any belief about changing his future would be connected to ultimately going back to that path. But in the meantime, he's going to get the aprons fixed. <laughs> and he's such and, a doer. He's really a, he's a super kind person, which you see, you know, in the next thing that happens, he Fred tells him, tell the old lady to call me back. It's urgent. It's urgent, whatever the F4. <laughs> which to me is a funny combination because like whatever, the, whatever for is like this more like sophisticated British sounding phrase. But then he just you know, puts in his Torahism and is like F-bomb all the time. <laughs> so cute. And, you know, Freda kind of like, you know, scratches his arm and looks sideways, looks all nervous. He's like, don't be nosy, it's grown-up business. Which is funny, right? Because Torah <laughs> is not only grown-up and like far huger than him physically, but he's in the mafia yeah. and he's quite grown-up. So he doesn't really have to worry about that. And he knows exactly what's going on. Like that next panel with his just deadpan face. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and Fred has zero dementia about how much he's owed. That's very, <laughs> really clear. Is that short-term memory? That's no, hold it. Yeah. Act, no, you're right. You're right. A short-term memory that you lose first, and long-term memory you preserve. But yeah, for some reason, he's got a real head for numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Lily confirmed, right? How much does she owe? Yeah is referencing the, the gaveling debt that because when she and Tora came in with um with uh Poppy to the restaurant, Alice called him up to gamble and she clearly did not win. So here we go. <laughs> Tora and Tora covers it. He's he's calling for her happiness. He's adorable by the way. It's just he's such yeah. a kind guy and really like we always wonder what would he be like if he hadn't been raised in the mafia. He's just a mm-hmm. generous, kind, giving person. With violent tendencies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we're almost to Erdeen. Yeah. So <laughs> now we get to the next day. We're, we're at Poppy and Tora's workplace. And they're discussing their weekend. Um, Jacob says he stayed at a hotel. And he's like, eh, it was, you know, it was kind of average. And then I think it's Erdeen says, yeah, that's fair. You pay peanuts, you get peanuts. Da, da, da. And now Erdeen asks Poppy, what about you, Pops? Did you get some well-deserved R&R time? And she's, by the way, she's so cool looking. Her, like, striking light blue eyes and her lavender yeah. blue hair. Mm-hmm. She's gorgeous. Yeah, she's really pretty. Yeah, and she's very confident, too. I like that. So, anyway, so Poppy says she was mostly finishing up her proposal for Mr. Lamb, but I did go out last night. Which is, like, to me, that's funny that she even says that because if she wants privacy, because she immediately tries to deflect them. But why does she even mention it? <laughs> like, she knows that. They're going to pounce on it, especially Ordeen. Like, come on. No, it's just funny. It's coming from Jacob. He's <laughs> with those like three little lines, like in that one scene. And then he was like, oh, I can't let her get away with this. We got to know. Is it is is she with the Greek God? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is adorable. Oh, and Ordeen, by the way, says, you know, Pops, you were supposed to take a break from work, which is, again, showing us that Poppy is overcommitted. She works a lot. And yeah. she works even when she shouldn't be working. And by the way, did you notice they, um, I actually thought they were in a restaurant first, but apparently they're at work, but they have cake um, on their table, which is 
kind of reminds me of mm. the birthday cake. I wonder if she got it from the same place, which we mentioned last episode that it might be the place that Gia works at, which is right next to her, right. her work. Right. Um, so Poppy tries to deflect her. She's like, look, Ardina, I got a new t-shirt. And she has this t-shirt that says, <laughs> calm the F down. And it's in a similar style to the, um, uh, what's that one again? That is an urban brand. Calm the F down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Erdin's like, don't change the subject. Gil gave us these three days off for to make up the long hours you put in these past few weeks. And that's something that a lot of people jumped on. Like, why did he give her them three days off? And we'll get to Gil in a second, but that's something too. So something a little bit suspicious. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like you said, Jacob's like, you know, who's the Greek God? And then Papa's like angry. Shh. And Erdin's like, huh? And, <laughs> Um, you know, Jacob, Jacob, interestingly enough, just like covers his mouth. I thought he would for sure, like, just keep talking and gossiping because that's fun. <laughs> but he does respect Poppy's desire for secrecy and he doesn't say anything. Which, by the way, I'm very surprised. Why did, why do you think, um, Poppy even asked Jacob to watch through the webcam rather than Erdine? It seems like she's closer with Erdine. Mm, Erdine's real motherly to her and kind of Jacob's more, I don't know, but well, no, no. Could I, I think she sure. knew that he would have to owe Erdine an explanation afterwards where she could have just shut down Jacob more vehemently. Like, I think she's purposely keeping the whole, like, situation on the down low as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, she's already talked to Erdine about Torah in the past, and she doesn't really want to, like, open that can of worms again. She wants to keep her feelings to herself. Like, maybe she doesn't even realize the extent that she has... Um, like her, where she doesn't quite understand like how fondly she thinks of Torah. Whereas with Jacob, she can kind of keep that emotional side of her closed off. Right. And, you know, that's something that's I also what I was trying to say. Right. She doesn't discuss, Poppy doesn't discuss her feelings. It's so, it's so funny because Torah is the one who immediately jumps out at us as like, oh, he's closed off. He doesn't have friends. But then in the end, Poppy's the one who's keeping things to herself. Torah is sending these pictures to his friends even if he's not talking i think it's more just like she definitely opens up to her grandma well not her grandma to her cousins based on the call and the fact that they know about jewelry but i think that she feels like she's doing something wrong with torah uh, or at least now and she kind of like or maybe she hasn't even processed it all for herself but there's some kind of internal drive where she just wants to keep it private but at the same time too these are like work friends so it could be that she's just cautious of oversharing with people that she views as friends, but not quite as intimately like family mm-hmm. or even outside work. Right. And someone pointed out here, right? Poppy goes to change the conversation by saying, um, she says, do you guys want the latest tea? Now, you know, <laughs> um, what was it? Like, it's a connection between who was it? I think who said this. I wrote it down because it was so interesting. Uh, Leslie said this, that, um, Giyu and Quincy were talking about tea and now she's mentioning tea. So it's this nice connection <laughs> between them. The symmetry. Yeah. And she says pretty much the only thing that would effectively deflect Erdine away from a Greek <laughs> god. Yeah. Right. And yeah, Erdine falls for it. So um, now Erdine <laughs> hmm? calls him a dandy. <laughs> Sorry, am I jumping ahead too much? Yeah, so then um, I just thought it was so funny that 
Poppy was like sharing that picture of Quincy. And then like both are kind of like deadpan, like, who is this person? Why do we care? And Erdine is just like, who the hell is this dandy person? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, here's your famous author. And then there's this, I can't believe Mr. Lamb got that shot of Quincy. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you know he was using some of his own espionage skills because he's in the corner, clearly just being self-absorbed. You know, typical Quincy <laughs> grooming his hair, looking at himself, looking all gorgeous. Yeah, I, there must be a story behind that picture, but <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> right. By the way, you know we um, we never really discussed the scar that he has over his right eye. And one thing that people were wondering was maybe he acquired mm-hmm. that scar during the incident where he he and Tora had to save you. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. That's just an unknown. Mm-hmm. I mean, or maybe from an incident with Vincent, maybe, or he fell down. Love to say, who knows? <laughs> probably not. Probably has a good story behind this scar. Yeah. yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to find out too at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So now while they're talking in the background, you know, Dean's like, oh, he looks so sparkly. I had to get a photo of him. He never makes public appearances. We have their boss, Gil, wandering around the office. Now, the office actually has some nice signs, which is it's, you know, nice to see they have this encouraging work environment. Every accomplishment starts with the determination to try, I think, and then something amazing, ridiculous, like some motivational signs, right, which gives mm-hmm. the appearance of a nice, you know, encouraging place to work. The girl's walking around. He is, um, you know, she's saying that she, Poppy's mentioning him. Mr. Lamb sent me this photo of me and Gil gave me the green light to go ahead with my plans. It's awesome. Way to go, Pop. So they're encouraging her. Gil's looking at Poppy's desk. And I'll let you, I'll let Vita actually take over this because you were talking about the notebooks. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw like in the previous, in the scene before, we see like a bunch of scattered papers lying around. I think those are the ones that are right on top. Then directly underneath those, we see a spiral notebook that's kind of like light blue in shade. I think that's her agenda where it has the um, the rainbows on it. And then directly underneath that, we have another spiral notebook that has cherries on it. So in the previous scene, in the book that had the letter E, that was also a spiral notebook, but we never see the front cover. So I think that's just the other notebook. So I think what's on her desk right now are just notes that she took while um, figuring out what to do about Quincy. And I think that um, Gil has like a very valid reason to be curious. These are like a couple of really big deals that Poppy has been able to nail down. Like her business with Dr. Lamb, like he invests, not only did he invest, he doubled the investment. And now Mm -hmm. she's saying, hey, by the way, I can get this really famous author someone that we've been talking about reaching out to before to potentially join our company. So I think he definitely has some good motives for being interested in what's on her desk. Um, I think as well, like this is in previous chapters, we find out that the giant goldfish was kind of in a bit of hot water. And now this one person like that's just recently out of uh, college is able to nail down like not one big deal, but two. Like, that's a huge thing. And especially if she's able to turn around the whole company and actually get them in the green instead of the red. Like, I I totally see where Gil is coming from. Now, whether or not his motives are ulterior or not is totally up in the air. 
So here's another interesting thing that we, you know, we've been debating back and forth who has a notebook. And one of the things that we, you know, that came across earlier was that when they had that meeting on Saturday, Gil says, oh, by the way, I looked through the reports on your desk. And Poppy says, oh, it's a good thing I organized my papers before. Now, sorted through my papers. Now, we all were wondering, does that mean that Poppy, you know, cleaned it up and took away the notebook? But then Lily actually clarified on Patreon that no, she was just meaning that she cleaned up the report. Nothing Mm -hmm. to do with the notebook. So it's still possible that the notebook was on her desk and Gil took it. Um, Mm -hmm. There's an alternate theory that, you know, the fact that Lily highlights the... um, the monkey backpack on the rooftop several times there's it's possible it's there and the poppy's just been very good at hiding her reaction to torah questioning her and pretending she doesn't know anything about it so we still don't know we keep you know getting this but we really don't know i i feel we don't know anyway what do you guys think they both have some weight i'm leaning towards the gill has the notebook based on um these last few panels but you know why else would why would the monkey backpack be so emphasized? The only other, I mean, maybe to emphasize her the childlike mm-hmm. aspects of her personality and her innocence. But there's other ways to do that, so I I don't know why um, that would be. So I, that's still a a really reasonable possibility. So it's funny. Like I actually agree with you guys. Like I think it's definitely still up in the air. I'm actually leaning more towards the fact that I think she does have the notebook and she's just really good at hiding it. Uh, one of the things that I think is very telling, well, actually, let's just backing up a little bit. Like at one point, the notebook is on her desk. We see that for sure. And then we know that later that same night, or maybe it's the night after, I need to look back at my timeline. We see Tora and you go into her office and they don't see the notebook like at all. They don't find it. So we know that that notebook leaves. It's either going to be with Gil or it's going to be with Poppy or it's a third option that we just have no Mm -hmm. idea about. Like, who knows? The reason why I'm leaning more towards Poppy is because at very key moments with her interactions with Tora, all we hear our Torah side of things and Torah's thoughts. And I think Lily really masterfully does this dialogue where he tells you what she what she wants you to know. And when Torah is questioning Poppy, he's asking, when he asked her specifically, did you find anything else about the shoe? Poppy was not facing him. She was facing the easel and she was kind of looking down and her whole posture kind of felt like uh, she was potentially hiding something from him. And we have no idea what's going through her head either because of that whole scene. We're only hearing what Tor is hearing. And I think that that would give, that gives me at least a lot of reason to think that maybe Poppy isn't quite as forthcoming as she has been or as that we believe that she is. One of the other things too, like, that really made me think in that direction. When we were back in the apartment during that dinner scene, we find out after Tora leaves that Poppy has this whole internal, she's had this whole internal battle within herself uh, about whether or not to report Mr. Lamb's disappearance. I had no suspicion that she was even thinking that. Like, I don't think anyone did until we actually saw it happening. So we know that 
she is thinking things through and she's a very deep thinker and very analytical. And we see that as well, like trying to figure out what to do about the new Quincy situation as well. So to me, like her figuring out with the notebook is something just super similar. Like, I think it's definitely still up in the air. It could be Gil. It could be Poppy. It could be a third person. It's just, this is just me kind of explaining why I think I'm leaning more towards, I think Poppy has it and is hiding it. That's really well thought out. The the only thing I would add is it seems like Lily's themes with honesty are very strong. Like Torah never lies. He, I mean, he'll, um, to her, he'll only give her a partial truth or, but he's pretty meticulous about not actually lying. So to, I think that because he asked her flat out, was there anything else? And then she said, mm-hmm. no, I'm, I, I just have a hard time seeing Lily have her actually lie to him in that moment. That would be tricky. Unless I there's some way to make it not well, a lie. I don't know. I, I, so I think you're right that Tora holds honesty at a very high level. I think Poppy does to a certain extent, like, She definitely has very strong morals, but if she's read the notebook and she knows what it contains, like, especially if it's going to get a lot of people in trouble, I think that she would rather have that power for herself and maybe even destroy the notebook. Like, to be quite honest, I wouldn't put it past Lily to write or show us uh, Poppy burning the notebook just because it is that powerful. Like, it will... The, the reach that it would have within Naren City would be ex- tremendous. And in a sense, she would be protecting Torah as well um, and keeping him from that information and potentially getting him into a very harmful situation. So I think it's just there's different. They both have very strong morals. They're just placed in different areas, if that makes sense. Right. And to me, it could honestly be a way for their relationship to be tested because the Torah finds out she was lying to him. He may get very angry at her and mm-hmm. this could be a breach in their relationship. Yeah. A good relationship tension. Yeah. Yeah. And a way of like uh, showing the contrast, you know, Torah, it's like this, the dichotomy between the outside external appearances and the inside, you know, Poppy presents a very innocent appearance and it could be that she's lying and withholding information from Torah. Tora is working in the mafia and has this rough guy appearance, but internally he's very honest and straightforward. So it could mm-hmm. just be that irony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, though, like, again, it just goes back to Lily really knowing how to stir the pot. Like, when she made that comment on Patreon, I was like, oh, crap, I need to rethink everything. Um, I'm definitely not 100% positive that Poppy has it. I think there's a lot of unknowns. I guess I, to me, I do see it consistent with her character if she does end up having it. Um, and I think it would just be a really interesting way to tell the story, too. Hmm. Well, yeah. either way, it would be really interesting. Let me put it that way. Um, yeah, no, I'm oh. assuming, you know, like, where actually this notebook act, like is. So here's another theory that, um, so Leslie was mentioning that the company giant goldfish right that maybe there's a connection with the koi fish on torah torah's tattoos and we know that um what besides for the financial trouble that we know they're in we know that they're they're running like kind of like a tabloid and when erdine and jacob hear about the politician who was 
framed or indicted or whatever for his um, shady connections, they say, oh, we should start publishing some of that stuff. And, you know, that'll bring us a lot of money. So it's possible that maybe maybe Gil was the one who published that um, who published that information without without Jacob and Erdine knowing that maybe he's connected to the mafia in some way, either to the Waffle House guy, maybe that he was the guy that he called. Um, who knows? Another Christina had this interesting theory, Christina Egan, that maybe Gil was one of the people in the van. She says that he was wearing the same, his hairstyle was similar and he was wearing the same shirt that he wears when we first see him, which hmm. who knows? <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Right. And another thing, somebody was saying that maybe, you know, we're all looking at Gil as being suspicious, but maybe he found a notebook in her desk and he's thinking, oh my gosh, why does my employee have this shady notebook? And he's looking at her desk to see, like, does she have any more suspicious materials in, like, a mm-hmm. totally opposite sense that he's innocent mm-hmm. and he's like, why is my employee dealing with this shady stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I've worked in a lot of offices and it's creepy as hell for any boss to start going through your <laughs> stuff <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> if it is a tabloid though and Gil believes that Poppy has some source like yeah that would be really interesting too if he ends up finding it and then he's the one that kind of releases the whole thing that would that would be insane too yeah Mm -hmm. well we have lots of theories that have been generated from this chapter (laughs) yeah true It's really different looking at one of the older episodes because you kind of know how it plays out and more so you can see mm-hmm. all the setups. But if it's mm-hmm. one of the, uh, you know, the hot off the press and it raises more questions than it answers. Yeah. It'd be, uh, if it's another red herring too, and we're all just obsessing with eyes <laughs> <laughs> looking down at her work. I mean, I don't think we'll actually, like, no one will know until next week. Or like 10 weeks from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but okay. I think that's a testament to Lily and just her writing. It's I love thinking through this kind of stuff. It's such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. So do we have any final thoughts on this episode? Any wrap-up things? It was very fun. It's an episode mm-hmm. to get you from here to there. It gives you a break from the mm-hmm. some of the roller coaster of the last few episodes. Um mm-hmm. So it's, I think it was really well, well constructed. Yeah. I think too, like, even though we don't have the Torah Poppy interaction, I'm actually looking forward to these episodes a lot now because there's so much information about just the, their histories that Lily is giving us. And it just helps us paint a broader, bigger picture of what has happened in the past and where the story could be going. So, you know, always props to Lily. Mm-hmm. And it is super fun to get more of the um, side characters. Yeah. That's just awesome. Oh, you and Quincy. So cute. She <laughs> draws them so well. You know, I mean, not draw, literally draw, but, you know, I mean, she does literally draw them so well, <laughs> of course. But but their their personalities and their, their voices mm-hmm. are so clear. Yeah. It's just so much fun. Agreed. Yeah, I think for me also, like, the richness of a story is in the complexity of the world. And if if it was just about Poppy and Tora, we wouldn't be enjoying it as much as we do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much, Peg and Vida, for coming on and sharing this, you know, your insights and your thoughts. I had a fantastic time, as usual. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. 
Thanks for having us. It was a really wonderful to finally talk to other people that understand. Yep. And feel free to sign up for more episodes anytime. I don't know if you did already, but you know, if you didn't, we'll be happy to have both of you on again. Thank you. Yeah, Bye. thanks so much. Guys. See you later. Mm-hmm.